Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Exit Velo Podcast. This is episode number 78. Believe it or not, we've been around for a while, Adam, and I feel great about that. I feel great about the baseball going on, all that we have to talk about today. Uh, pretty good weekend coming off the heels of that. I'm, it's, it's all good over here, man. How are you doing? It's all good over here, too. I'm finishing up the semester pretty soon, so I'm looking forward to that. And you are right about how we're at number 78. I just think about how we're going to hit 100 in just maybe a few months or so or by the end of the year or at some point, and it's just been a while that we've been on the show together. So I'm loving that we keep doing this. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Week in and week out, man. I love coming on here, spitting a little bit of knowledge about the great game of baseball and always enjoy your knowledge to provide to the broadcast, my man. Likewise, uh, same back to you. And we've got a good week of baseball to dive into. Good two weeks of baseball, actually. It's been two weeks now since our last show. And in that time, there was not one, but two no-hitters. Actually, both came last week. And the first one, coming from John Means of the Orioles, I uh, did that last Wednesday at the Seattle Mariners. And he was absolutely amazing, which kind of goes without saying in a no-hitter, but a, a very impressive one in that. 96.3% of the batters he faced received first pitch strikes. That was 27 out of 28 batters. Of course, going one over the minimum there in a no-hitter. The only batter that reached base against John Means was on a dropped third strike. That really stings how close he was to the perfect game. And it's not like he walked a guy, hit a guy. It's threw a nasty pitch and it got past the catcher. I think it was actually ruled a wild pitch. Maybe mm -hmm. I don't think it was a fastball, but 12 K's in the outing for John means he was lights out again, obviously and a no hitter, but what an amazing performance. This might've been the best no hitter I've ever seen, because as you mentioned, his only blemish was a wild pitch in the dirt that Pedro Severino, the catcher should have had. And then it was quickly erased by the next batter as the runner who reached base was thrown out at second. <laughs> so he still faced the minimum of 27 batters. And honestly, I know that a perfect game, you have to retire 27 up, 27 down. No one can reach base. But this is as close as a perfect game as you can get from no hitter. There wasn't an error. There wasn't a mistake on his part. There wasn't any walks or hit by pitches. And as you mentioned too, 27 out of the 28 batters that he faced, or I guess really 27 batters that he faced, maybe another batter twice because of the caught stealing, mm -hmm. but he threw a first pitch strike, which is hilarious because you hear in Little League all the time, throw a first pitch strike and good things will happen, but you can never imagine that something like this would happen. No, I mean, it, it definitely a key to success, but not really – Something that, uh, you know, this is in your wildest baseball dreams. You dream of throwing a no-hitter your whole life, doing it on the huge, biggest stage like this. Sure, it was the Mariners, uh, but it definitely still counts. And it's not really fluky either for John Means and that he's having an amazing season thus far. With the win, he improves to 4-0 on the year. He drops that ERA down to 1.37 with a 0 0.67 whip to boot. And... All of his starts haven't been against the likes of the Mariners either. He actually, he did pitch against Seattle one other time, I know, because I own him on my fantasy team. So I've been keeping tabs on John Means, but I know he's pitched against Oakland. He threw a gym on opening day. I think it was like eight scoreless innings, maybe seven scoreless innings against the Red Sox. So he's faced some tough lineups this season as well, in addition to a couple of softballs, but very, very impressive start of the season for Means. 
He's developed as a legitimate ace for the Orioles too. He originally started his campaign at the bullpen, and then he, I believe he came top three in Rookie of the Year voting only a couple of years ago. And he had an okay season last year, still above average, and can't balk at him too much for that because 2020 was a weird year. But he's once again established himself as one of the AL's best pitchers, and he looks like a top five Cy Young candidate in the in the junior circuit right now. He definitely has to be at this point. And I, I kind of been messing around with some of my baseball buddies and, and I, you may get a kick out of this too, Adam. Is it time to crown John Means the very best pitcher in the AL East? You know, I can't say yes to that. <laughs> I can't because Garrett Cole has been phenomenal this season. And I feel like over an 162 game span, Cole will probably end up better than Means. But... The ends justified the means, of course, and John <laughs> has done a great job so far. He's been spectacular, and there was a good chance. There was a good chance how he could be the best pitcher in the AL right now. I'll give him that. There's little doubt after this start that John means business. That is for sure, and I would say Tyler Glass now definitely another candidate for best pitcher in that division. There's some great pitching up in the AL East. You'd, Maybe make the case for Hinjin Ryu. I know he hasn't been quite as impressive as those other three to start the season, but he's got game two. And Chris Sale working his way back from Tommy John's too. It's a rich pitching division overall. Not not maybe not great throughout, but there's definitely some stars in that division. And John Means looks like he's established himself among those stars. We'll, we'll see if he can keep it up over the full season, but as good of a start to the year as you can have for sure for Mr. Means. But there's another no-hitter to cover from last week. It was the Reds' Wade Miley doing it Friday night at the Indians. Kind of another weak offense, but hey, man, a no-hitter is a no-hitter. Go out there for nine innings, not allow a single hit. It's still historic, even if it's happening more and more uh, already. This is the fourth one this year, five if you count Madison Bumgarner, but... For Wade Miley, he had eight strikeouts in that start, and a walk was the single runner who reached base. Henry, I had to bite my tongue on this while we were talking in the pregame show, but I actually got to meet Wade Miley about seven years ago. I used to be a part of Baseball Factory, and they took us to a Cape Cod game, and Wade Miley was there. And I told him how I knew every World Series winner and loser, and he was very impressed, and we took a, a selfie together. So I feel very proud of the man that I once met who threw no hitter, and I know he used to be a former Red Sox, but I've always appreciated him. He was a very nice person, and he was spectacular. He's someone who usually hits the contact. He usually walks a lot of batters. He only walked one, I believe, and he was a very unlikely candidate, and he had a bad 2020 season. But, hey, he's looked good this year, and he's been a force for the Red staff so far. That is awesome, man. I didn't know that you had the chance to meet Wade Miley. And definitely the value of that selfie is, is on the rise after that historic start for him. And he's having another good year, too, in addition to John Means. Um, not not fluky in that regard, and I know he dropped the ERA down to 2.00 on the season, and I believe the whip is right around .75, somewhere in that ballpark, which is well below career averages for Wade Miley. I know he, he's not really a power pitcher, as you mentioned, Adam. Doesn't strike a whole lot of people out. The walks can be a problem for him at times, and it's tough, man, pitching in great American ballpark, which, granted, this start wasn't, but that kind of can make the pitching numbers look a little bit uh, more inflated than normal as well. So perhaps an uncharacteristic start for Wade Miley and, and giving, I mean, it's uncharacteristic for anybody to give a no hitter to 
which no hitter. What am I, what am I talking about here? But a great start nonetheless, a historic start. Great for the Reds, not great for the Indians. Their second time being no hit already this season. Carlos Rodon doing it to them a few weeks ago, about a month ago now. And that one nearly a perfect game as well, losing that in the ninth inning. The Indians look like a very sad team since trading away Francisco Lindor, and it shows with them being no hit twice this season, a span of about a month. So you got to feel bad for them, but you got to feel good for Wade Miley as well. I don't know if this production will be sustainable for him because he has a career-high 58.1% ground ball rate and a batted ball in play is just 162, which is very, very low below career norms. But that's actually something that we have seen throughout Major League Baseball, how a lot of players are getting their bad luck against bad BIP and have put the ball in play, but are batting below the Mendoza line. We're seeing players like Gary Sanchez. He's done that a couple of times before, but other players like Yasmani Grandal, and I know Quinn Frazier on the Yankees, for example, has another player has been doing that. And it's kind of weird to see hitters do so poorly this season. And yeah, not even those individual examples that you picked out. Certainly there is a whole lot of them, but you look league-wide, man. It is a 234 league-wide batting average, which would be the very lowest in MLB history if it were to hold. Uh, the current record holder for that would be a 237 batting average in 1968. That, of course, was known as the year of the pitcher. So we're kind of in uncharted territory here, and it just raises some questions into what is up with the offensive environment in baseball right now. It's hard to tell. Maybe it could because of the new baseball and how it's dead in a bit, but you wouldn't think that would have this much an effect. Of course, you look at the batting average was going down for a while and how the dead in baseball only limits the ball traveling just a few feet when it's over 350 feet or something like that. But it could be a part of it. I heard this one guy speak on one of these like famous YouTube channels. I forget which one. It might be foolish baseball. It might be another one, but they said how it might be time to move the mound back or move the mound up or, or move the mound down a little bit because pitchers have dominate the strikeouts or pitchers are nasty I'm sure a lot of them are using some mix of pine tar and icy hot and are making their pitches even more nasty. So they've essentially become unhittable. It's been home run or bust for a while, and we're seeing a lot of that this season. And it's actually interesting. You should mention the possibility of rule changes, Adam, because the previous low for batting average, that 237 in 1968, I'd heard that was actually the season that prompted moving the mound down. The last time we saw a batting average that historically low. So Certainly the league has to do something, I would say. Maybe they don't have to, but it's it's not really great baseball right now seeing I mean it's been trending in this way in a while, as you mentioned too, with three true outcomes, strikeout, ball, or walk rather, and home runs. But I think there was some thinking that tinkering with the baseball would possibly correct that in some way. And really I think all we've seen is there's less home runs and just overall less offense. It's not like more of those home runs are turning into base hits or doubles. I think that the data thus far is showing that more of those home runs are, are turning into outs. So there's just less scoring, and that kind of just makes the three true outcomes that much worse when we're getting more of the boring outcomes rather than the home runs. And, of course, you won't know the entire details for a while or really at least until the end of the season where we see a full season play out and see hitters bounce back. But – it seems like a lot of players, especially hitters, are struggling right now. A lot of hitters that are 
supposedly some of the best in the game. You think about Mookie Betts, Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger. They're not hitting like they should be, and it feels off. It feels like something's wrong, and I don't know if you see this with your Cubs lineup, but the fact that I see so many Yankees batting under 200 or facing other teams of hitters who are usually pretty good and are slumping right now, it, it feels strange. It feels like this is happening more than usual. It does feel strange. I know the Cubs definitely started off like that. They were historically bad as a team the first couple of weeks. Bats have heated up a little bit more for us lately. But there's still a lot of low batting averages on the team. I know Ian Happ is definitely under 200 right now. But some of the names you mentioned around the league, too, like you know Christian Yelich, Cody Bellinger, that kind of raises another point, too, in that there are a lot of injuries happening this early in the season. Maybe that's something with guys not getting all the way up to speed with a shortened season last year, impacting the way people are ramping up, getting their bodies ready. It's definitely something to keep an eye on as the season progresses. But there have been a lot of injuries thus far to start the year and a lot to key players, too. You mentioned a couple there in Bellinger and Yelich. Uh, we see we saw Jacob DeGrom actually um, leave his start on Sunday with side tightness. Uh, the MRI ended up coming back clean for DeGrom, but he, of course, had had an injury scare earlier in the week, missed his first scheduled start for the week with a lat injury. So I, I guess encouraging to see that it wasn't the lat getting worse, but not great to have probably the best pitcher in baseball getting shut down here. And hopefully it's not a lengthy absence. We said that MRI did come back clean, but kind of just another example of the injury bug that has been popping up quite frequently around the game thus far. It's so sad when you see great players get injured. I mean, of course it's sad when any player gets injured, but I, I, I feel like I'm speaking for a lot of baseball fans right now, but I'm so excited when Grom pitches. I can't wait to see the video of his performance because it's like Pedro day all over again. It's so fun to see him pitch. He's been historically one of the best pitchers and, in the game for a while. He's been probably the best pitcher of the past four seasons. And this season especially, he seems like he's on a record pace. And, and not to mention he's throwing 100-plus miles an hour now. He continues to get more and more velocity. He's been on an absolute tear for the last several seasons. He's amazing to watch. Frustrating to watch how he somehow never gets any run support, although the bat doing it for himself lately, too. I think he's batting still like something around 400 this year, single-handedly making the case against the DH and the NL. But, yeah, not good for the game to see him shut down. Certainly not great for the Mets, who have sort of sputtered out the gate. It hasn't been abysmal by any means on the, the other side of New York there, but perhaps not the start they envisioned. I know Francisco Lindor has – Faced a lot of criticism from the Mets faithful. I, I see it on Twitter, Adam. I'm sure you're hearing it up there as well. I think we should talk about that situation for a little bit because that was absolutely wild this past week. So it seemed like that Lindor and Jeff McNeil got into a scuffle. And it's important, too, because they're double play partners. They're supposed to have this great tandem, this great relationship. And all of a sudden they see them the camera angles to them having a heat exchange in a dugout they go into the tunnel and the entire team follows into the tunnel as well it's prompting that they might have fought or something happened and then go out of their post-game interview talking about how's discussion where they thought they might have seen a rat or a raccoon on the field or, or somewhere in the vicinities of the baseball stadium and they just laugh it off like nothing ever happened this feels like almost an a-rod jeter thing of where 
there was this one time where they both were trying to get a fly ball. It landed between. They said it was nothing was wrong. You were trying to hide everything, and but you really know something's up. And then there was also Chili Davis getting fired this past week, and Piaz Lindor didn't really work well with him. Pete Alonso cried over it. The Mets just continue to kind of make this weird mess, which seems unexplainable. As they say, Adam, Mets are going to Mets. Uh, you bring in Steve Cohen, you bring in all these nice new players, that, that Mets culture is still going to find a way to poke its head through. And that was a pretty hilarious situation uh, with the, the rat and the raccoon. I, I did like the way they played that off, but obviously not great to, you know, this early into the season, the frustrations boiling over in a very public way like that, where it's, it's not even really something that's behind closed doors. I, I mean, I guess, sure, they were in the clubhouse, but everybody knew they were going down there. Everybody knew they were fighting, and it's not a good look. I, I mean, we're only a little over a month into the season. Baseball is a marathon. This is, as you mentioned, a double play partner, a guy you got to get along with for the next four or five months, and I'm not really sure what McNeil's contract is like, but I know Lindor is going to be around there for the next decade. So I don't know, maybe they would end up shipping McNeil off if there really was some kind of long-term feud. Hopefully there's not because I think baseball is ready to see the Mets be successful and make that subway series a little more entertaining. For sure. And I was just looking over at fans graphs and McNeil is under contract really until 2025. That's when he can become a free agent. So they will be together for a while, and Neil is a very potent hitter, one of the better hitters in the National League, so he will probably be spending a lot of time with Endora, and I doubt the Mets would be shipping him away anytime soon. Well, they better get along then. If they're going to be sticking out with the, or hanging out with each other for the next four years now, that's not going to be any fun if you're you know across the diamond from somebody you hate. And Not only that, as, as a teammate, you got to be able to trust in one another, have that relationship and kind of a feel for one another's game as you're turning those double plays and you know just training together grinding together over a long season you gotta you gotta get along Mets they really do and I hope their relationship works out and when the Mets are back in it it's always fun for baseball because they're kind of a lovable team similar to your Cubbies as well it'd be nice to see them getting back in on playoffs and they've been also doing well too a lot of players have also resurged this year Look at a player such as Chris Bryant, who didn't have the best 2020 season, but he's pretty much a top three hitter in the league at this point. It has been so great to see KB back in MVP type form, up to nine home runs on the year, OPS up over a thousand. He's batting over 300. He looks healthy. I know injuries had plagued him the last few seasons, but he really just has that power back in his swing. Uh, Javi has looked pretty good as well for the Cubs. I need Rizzo to pick it up a little bit, but team-wide, the offense has definitely looked better here, which is, is awesome for Cubs fans to see and hopefully make that NL Central race as, as competitive as we thought it would be coming into the year. It looks like the Cardinals are getting hot themselves, threatening maybe to, to run away with that a little bit. And for, for all the great pitching in Milwaukee, they just have no offense, especially with Christian Yelich still out. So, Hopefully we can just make it a competitive division one way or another. I hope so too. It's not fun when one team is able to run away with it. Even though the NL Central is a little bit weak, it'd be nice to see the Cardinals and the Cubs challenge them and even the Reds too. And they all can because they all have talented rosters, but not the most talented division. But one division that has been a little bit more interesting as of late has been the NL West. And the Giants are currently in first place, which is – very shocking to everyone because they have 
a decent hit, decent hitting team. They have new starting pitching, but to be over the Dodgers and the Padres, who are barely over 500 at this point, that's very surprising. Definitely did not see that one coming, man. Coming into the year, I was with everybody else who was ready to crown the, the Dodgers as the likely division champions, and then the Padres as the automatic second place first wild card team for sure. It, it was those two's team division to lose. They were the big juggernauts making all those offseason moves where the Padres coming off the World Series were the Dodgers. And I don't, know, I don't want to overreact to what's almost six weeks to baseball now, but I think, I think that's a decent amount of time to where we can kind of start jumping to some conclusions. And I know we mentioned two weeks ago in our last show, we did a legit or naw segment. I think both of us wrote off the Giants fairly quickly as, as not legit. I don't know if I'm quite ready to change my mind. Are you feeling differently? I'm not either, only because they have so many random pitchers who have not done well for a while. Look at Alex Wood, Wood look at Anthony Despafani, even Kevin Gosman, who's one of the better pitchers in the league. He's only been better the last two seasons or so. I, I can't, and then you also have the resurgence, of course, from Brandon Crawford, Buster Posey, Brandon Belt. It seems too good to be true right <laughs> now. And I hope it is. I mean, I hope it isn't, rather. I want the Giants to be competitive. I want them to make the NLS even more interesting. But if this was maybe three months into the season, I would maybe start feeling a little bit differently. I would be buying it a little bit more too if we had that much data to back it up. And that just seems like too much going right. All those guys re-clicking with their rebounds, resurgences. And I, I don't know. It just sounds kind of fake to me that, that all of them are going to be able to keep that up over the course of a full season. Maybe half of them are, but – I mean, as it is now, their offense is about middle of the pack, which which isn't bad, but that's kind of seems like that's like with everything clicking. So maybe they regress a little bit more to what we expect, and that should pretty easily be a bottom half offense. It should, and they have some intriguing players, and maybe one of their three core players can come back and be good for the entire season. But it does seem like it's too good to be true. And it seems also too good to be true that the Dodgers and Padres would be beneath them. And we were talking about this on the pregame show as well. But the Dodgers have a lot going right for them. You mentioned how they had a, what, 340-plus on-base percent, which is one of the best in baseball, a top-three offense, some of the best pitching, which has still translated this far into the season. But they're not winning ball games, and they've been losing a lot of games too. I really don't understand it. Just looking at the numbers, Adam, they're leading baseball with a 346 OBP, as you mentioned, up there over 340. That's pretty fantastic. And the third best scoring offense, as you mentioned as well. The pitching, amazing. Walker Bueller, Trevor Bauer have been great. Clayton Kershaw has been great as well, aside from one rough start last week where the Cubbies got to him in his shortest career start uh, ever. So go to the Cubbies. To, uh, a little bit of applause there for, for the North Siders, but I mean, the Dodgers numbers look good. I, I guess the case must be that they're just really running up some, some big run totals and blowout wins. And then they must be losing a lot of close games. It goes back to that whole Pythagorean theorem idea for baseball, where if you have a high run differential, then it'll kind of predict where you end with wins and losses. But we have seen teams kind of go against that where they'll, as you mentioned, they'll, win games by a large margin and lose games by a close margin. And it seems like they should be better, but 
they really aren't able to change it around. I think for the Dodgers and Padres case, though, it's still early and they'll still be able to. It's just a bit of a rough stretch for them. I agree. I, I expect that they will end up figuring it out. There's just too much talent on both of those teams not to get a little bit of separation in what looks to be an otherwise pretty weak division. I know the Rockies have been pretty terrible. The Diamondbacks have been a little better than expected, actually, but still not a super talented deep roster there. I mean, the Giants, perhaps their biggest competition for third place. You know, as we discussed, too, there's a lot going right for them currently and wouldn't maybe expect all of that to continue happening. I think there's just too much talent in San Diego and L.A. for them to not end up on top. For sure. And when you talk about talent, it kind of reminds me of two greats that had all the talent in the world for the most part of their career but they're starting to fall off a cliff. And one of those greats was Albert Pujols, who oh. got released by the Angels last week. And I felt really sad by that because he has five, He had five homers this season. He's in his last year of his contract, but they still released him. It makes sense. They have Jared Walsh at first base. They have Otani, who's pretty much an everyday DH. There's not really a spot for him. And he's also the slowest player in baseball, too. <laughs> so if someone who gets on or has good contact skills as he does – there's not really a place for him. He's and kind of a base clogger. He is. He is. He doesn't score from first to go from first to third. He can't really have too many extra base hits. It's kind of home run or nothing, and he doesn't walk anymore. It is sad to see him go out, though. I know he's still looking to pad those career stats a little bit and closing in on some more milestones. And when we have an all-time great like this, you kind of want to see him get the, the farewell tour, all the love that Derek Jeter got in his last season. Granted, I'd argue Jeter was probably more productive in his final year than Pujols has been, although the, the offensive stats do look decent for Pujols. But, yeah, under the hood, he doesn't really give you a whole lot of defense anymore, can only play first base. Like you said, they got Walsh there, DH is. DH is plugged with Otani, and he's a base clogger. He's old and slow, but still I mean, definitely an all-time great guy who we grew up watching and just being amazing, amazing, amazing for the Cardinals, was the best player in baseball for probably a span of five years or so at least. So kind of sad to see him go out like this, released. I think it was at least partially mutual, mutual though, in that I had heard some a quote from Pujols that he didn't, he had no interest in being a bench player. He wants to play every day, wants to be able to get at bats, chase some of those milestones. I don't know what's next for him because I mean, there's not a whole lot of teams where you would say he's the the surefire starting first baseman. I think he's a little bit delusional, almost chasing back the glory days if he thinks he can be a starting first baseman. This is someone who has had negative war seasons for several of the past five years. He's not where he once was. Even He's had seasons, even recently, where he had 20 home runs. He's been worth negative war because he can't field his position. He has a sub-300 on-base percentage, and it's home run or bust for him, as we mentioned before. And I briefly like toyed with the thought. I'm like, wouldn't it be cool if he went back in St. Louis and finished his career there? But they don't have a DH, and he's not going to play over Paul Goldschmidt. So that's kind of the same thing. He would be a bench player playing like once a week there, and doesn't sound like that's what he's interested in. And I don't know. Maybe he just needs to go to like one of the worst teams. I don't know if the Tigers need a DH. I don't know if the 
Orioles need a DH. They probably have somebody who is just as productive, if not more so, than Albert Pujols right now. I hope he finds a spot and hope he swallows a little bit of pride and understands, okay, this might be my last year. Let me just play the season out. I know that he there are some whispers that, oh, maybe he'll go to the White Sox rejoin Tony La Russa, but he said, well, we are kind of already plugged in that DH. We have Yerman Mercedes, who's been excellent all year round. The first base, they have Jose Abreu or even Andrew Vaughn if they need be. So they don't have a spot for him. Yeah, there's nothing like jumping off the page, like a real logical landing spot for him. It's It might be a little bit. I mean, maybe an injury. He has to wait for an injury to occur to a DH, a team that could use an extra batter. Definitely swallowing a little bit of pride would, would help his case open up some possibilities because, I mean, he's, he's still good enough to where somebody could use him as a pinch hitter now and then. Yeah, it would be fun to see him on maybe a really bad nationally team like the Pirates or someone just to get a few DHs and maybe get some fans in the ballpark, which they probably need. But it does look like it's the end of the run for him. I'm not sure if he'll get picked up or if he does, he won't be too long this season. And you've also got to start to think about another player who might be nearing the end of his career, Miguel Cabrera. There's been whispers that the Tigers might let him go at some point because he's been terrible this year. He's batting 149. He has a 504 OPS. He's had a negative war, including this season, for three out of the past five years. And he's also still under contract for, I believe, several more years. Let me double-check this. But, yes, he is until 2023, and he has some vesting options, which they won't pick up. But he's kind of wasting a roster spot at this point, too. Wasting a roster spot and wasting quite a bit of money uh, is that Miguel Cabrera. And it's sad because another guy who was a legend growing up, one of the best hitters in the game for so many years. And the the bottom really fell out quickly for Miguel Cabrera, as it did too for Pujols, which kind of wild. Both of those guys just seemed so like invincible, indestructible for so long. And so amazing, well-rounded hitters with the power and 300 plus batting averages too. And, and I guess Pujols still has the power, but Miggy doesn't really have either half of that anymore. And perhaps two of the very worst contracts in baseball between the two of them. And at the time, too, it still seemed like these contracts made sense for them because they are some of the greatest players of all time, especially when you look at Pujols, because he will go down as one of the best players in history of the 2,000-plus RBIs and more home runs than William Mays. You look at Miguel Cabrera, who – Still could maybe finish out his entire baseball career getting 500 homers, he's 11 away, and 3,000 hits where he's 124 away. So he can also go down as an all-time great, and he will. And if you're the Tigers too, I mean, I get it. The Angels have enough talent to where they could be competitive. You need the roster spot. But the Tigers, man, I mean, let him chase that history. People are going to come to the ballpark to try and see – Miguel Cabrera hit 500 home runs, try and get 3,000 hits, and you're not going to go to the playoffs this season anyway. So I could kind of see them keeping him around. At the very least, they'll probably have a better end with Cabrera, better enter the relationship with him because he's meant so much to the organization, and he will probably will go into the Hall of Fame in a Tigers uniform too. Well, then he's actually had some good years in Detroit. Pujols is kind of – like exclusively been not exclusively, but close to it been a disappointment for the angels. He had a couple of good years at the beginning, but that contract turned sour pretty quickly for him. 
It did. And it was so strange too, because it looked like that he was maybe going to go back to the Cardinals or it felt very strange. He wasn't going back to the Cardinals when he signed because he just came off a world series win, but then he went right to the angels and that was a shock and Carlos didn't want to pay him that much. And they were right. And I think they also were able to get Michael Walker too, as a compensation pick and he won an LCS MVP for them. So it worked out a little bit and they also saved some, a lot of money too. Yeah. I was going to say like value per uh, or production per what they were paying him. That was definitely much better investment to, to end up with Waka than Pujols there. But I remember wanting the Cubs to sign him so bad back in the days. Like, yes, pay Pujols 300 million. It'll be worth it. And really dodged a bullet there in hindsight. I remember wanting Prince Fielder too. And that ended up being pretty bad as well. Although I think injuries ended up getting um, whoever ended up signing him. Was he, did the Rangers sign him? Yeah, well, it, the Tigers signed him, but he was transferred wow. to Rangers in that famous Kinsler deal. Gotcha. Well, they ended up getting out of it, I guess, on the back end when, unfortunately, health forced Fielder to retire. But there we go. Another kind of great from our childhood. Not quite the, the level of Pujols or Cabrera, but a good guy to remember. Uh, but last little rundown here of the news and notes before we round out the show. A couple more injuries in addition to DeGrom. We see Luis Roberts going to be out for 12 to 16 weeks with a grade three hip flexor strain. Another devastating blow for the White Sox after losing fellow outfielder Eloy Jimenez for a four-month or so injury of his own. Maybe that means Andrew Vaughn time for the White Sox, but certainly not a uh, not an easy injury to stomach and a team that figures to be competitive. They still can be in a bad division, but that, that certainly doesn't help. And then we look and see uh, another AL central outfielder in Byron Buxton going out for a few weeks with a hip strain of his own. That one does appear to be far less severe uh, than Roberts though. He is going to be out for just a few weeks. Um, other than that, we see Dustin May undergoing Tommy John surgery. That really sucks. He was having an amazing year. Definitely a breakout season. Nasty stuff for Ginger Guard, as he is called by his Dodgers teammates. But still a young guy. He's going to be back. And we see a lot of guys who come back strong from Tommy John's. It's Obviously, it's just going to be a while. Though I think that's the big injury news that I saw from around the league this, this past couple of weeks here. Adam? Not fun injuries, though. Some more star players getting hurt. Yeah, these are big-time injuries for these three players. And I know that Butson has the least severe injury out of the three, but with the Twins not doing well right now and Butson looking like a top-five player in the American League, that one has to hurt because Butson's been waiting his entire career to have a season like this. And it's only been about five weeks or so, but... He seemed like he was ready to break out. He seemed like a type of player who would be one of the better players in the American League. He still can, but he's out for a little bit. He was kind of carrying the Twins on his back. You also look at least Robert, and the White Sox are a team that can come back from that type of injury. They can come back from the Jimenez injury, but Robert meant so much to the outfield. He's one of the best center fielders in all of baseball. It's only his second year. He's still someone for 2020 threat, maybe not 30-30 like he did in the minors, but still one of the most dynamic players in the game. And then finally, again, Dustin May, too. The Dodgers are more than capable of handling his injury, of course, because they have such talented pitchers. They even have someone like Julio Urias, who nagged a rotation spot over David Price, who won a sigh on himself. So for the most part, these teams will recover, but it is sad to see these players go down. 
Definitely. And hopefully Buxton is able to get back soon. I know those other injuries more long-term, uh, but I'm, I'm worried about him, man, if he's going to be able to pick up where he left off. And he was enjoying a, a very great breakout season of his own. And he's kind of been an inconsistent guy throughout his career, very streaky. He's had these flashes of brilliance throughout, never to this extent for sure. Uh, but injuries kind of been the other thing that have derailed him. And it, it just sucks to see it happen here again. He was doing so well up there in the MVP leaderboard and yeah, just a, a devastating injury. Glad it's not anything more severe, but all eyes will be on him when he returns. See if he is able to pick up where he left off. That twins offense definitely needs him to, because they've been underwhelming thus far. It's going to be an interesting race down the stretch in that AL central figures to, to mostly be between the twins and the white Sox. but Hey, stuff like this, maybe open the door for the Indians to creep in if they don't get no hit a couple more times, but, I do expect some more no-hitters are on the way throughout the league. This has been a crazy start to the year with four slash five of them already. I imagine we may have another one to discuss next time we tune into the Exit Velo podcast, but we're just going to have to wait and see. I believe that is all the baseball action we have to cover tonight. So thank you all for tuning in to Exit Velo number 78, powered by Backsports Page. I'm Henry, joined as always by Adam, and until next time, this has been the Exit Below podcast.